Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. Tonight, it's Vampires Part 2, the final blending, as I have got vampire stories from Charleston, Tennessee, and Exeter, Rhode Island. All that and more on Small Town Secrets. And welcome to uh, the second episode of uh, Season 6. And yes, you heard it right. Uh, two more towns with two more uh, vampire legends. Which are uh, kind of hard to come by. And uh, I'm finding that out more and more every day. So, 
take everyone back last year, end of the summer, I think, uh, I went to Covington, Kentucky to go check out uh, a store uh, called uh, uh, Dark Aesthetics, which is a record store slash oddly store. A uh, really cool place. If you're ever in the neighborhood, check it out. And while I was there, I stumbled upon this book called uh, The Vampire of Covington, Kentucky. And uh, I'm like, oh, this will be great. Like, this might be great for the show. So I, I kind of take a cursory glance to it, through it, uh, see a lot of, like, historic photos and things like that. Not like a super long book, obviously like a self-published type of book. So I grab it. I'm like, this might be a, a great topic for the show. And so, uh, you know, time goes by. I decide to do another vampire episode. And I break out that book. <laughs> and I start going through it a little bit. And I'm like, man, there's a lot of, like, dialogue in this book. Like, you know, written, like, dialogue. Which you don't often see in books that are supposedly nonfiction. So I'm like, that's, that's kind of funny. I'm like, well, maybe it's like written that way, you know. Maybe I'm just seeing a lot of, I don't know. Maybe they were just very creative with the way they approached it. And uh, get a little more into it and a little more into it. I'm like, uh, I think this book is a uh, uh, historic fiction. And uh, so uh, I try to look it up. Like I said, it's a it was a very self-published book. Like the cover is just black with white text that says the, the Vampire of Covington, Kentucky with the author's name on it. And so not a lot of information. Like, it's not even on, like, Amazon. Like, it's not like an Amazon self-published book. And so I Google it with the hopes of finding some more info about it. And I do stumble upon, like, a couple of library entries. Like, it made it into some local libraries around Covington, Kentucky. And, yeah, come to find out it's a it was a historical fiction book. So couldn't really use it for the show. And uh, I had to kind of scramble a little bit and come up with another another town other than Covington. But hey, uh, one of these chances, one of these, one of these days I'll get a chance to sit down and read it a little bit. And uh, who knows, could be a great book, but just not something for this show. And so I had to, I had to like I said, I had to scramble. And then I stumbled upon uh, the Charleston, Tennessee story of the Crossroads Vampire. And I'm like, that will work. That will fit in nicely. And uh, I found that in a, an, another book called American Vampires by uh, by Bob Curran, which does have some great vampire stories in it. And uh, I've been making my way slowly through it just to see what else is in there. And it has some other... I mean, it gets it really does kind of paint with the fringes of what uh, a vampire can be considered. But uh, a good read. I'll probably finish it. But was able to find some stuff for tonight's show, so that's what I've gone through. Uh, not anything too strenuous, uh, but but just a slight annoyance to say the least. So let's get into tonight's topics. We're going to start out with uh, Charleston, Tennessee. Legendary Africa is a podcast where a disembodied voice speaks, shouts, swears, and whispers myths, legends, and lore from Africa straight into your ear canal. Join me, my two dogs, and our companion moth named Squirt on an adventure through the African continent. We find out about dragons, witches, fairies, magicians, demigods, boy heroes, dragon-slaying princesses, ogres, ghosts, Egyptian treasure, and so much more. 
Originally a two sister led production, Legendary Africa is an indie podcast now led solely by the Shirapata after her sister passed away. A proud member of Straight Up Strange Productions, Legendary Africa brings you myths, mysteries, and magical stories from the magnificent continent of Africa. Available on all popular podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Castbox. Follow on Twitter and Instagram at LegendaryPod1 and LegendaryPod. Stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary. Before we get into tonight's topics, I want to take a minute and let you know that there is so much more small town secrets to enjoy. Check out the Patreon. There are one, two, and three dollar tiers of support with stuff like a shout out on the main show, exclusive buttons and stickers, MP3s to the music I create, also an ad slash promo free version of the main show, as well as STS Backroads patreon-only podcast that comes out in the off weeks which means you'll get content every week all in your own rss feed there is all of this and more to sign up go to patreon.com slash stscast or stscast.com and click on the support tab and now on with tonight's episode 600 51 people live in the tiny town of Charleston, Tennessee. Its first name was Walker's Ferry, as named because the town emerged around an established ferry that crossed the Hiawassee River. In the early 20th century, something strange was found buried just south of town. Some call it the Crossroads Vampire. In 1917, a road crew was working on widening a dirt crossroads just outside of town. During the construction, the crew made a strange discovery. They uncovered the slightly mummified body of a woman in the middle of the crossroads. She was buried face down, and upon further examination, had a stake buried in her chest. One of the workers noticed something odd about said steak. It wasn't just any steak, like just not a piece of wood, you know, sharpened to a point. It was the leg of a mule-eared chair, and not just any mule-eared chair. The leg of this chair barred the craftsmanship and look of a chair made by the famed Odom Brothers. And I'll, I'll give you a little background on them here in a minute, but I just want to take a second. So a mule ear chair is just kind of like a wooden chair with a slightly curved back, and usually there's two posts on the back on each side that stick up a little bit to make the you know ear. Um, I'll post a picture if you go to the website and check out the show notes. I'll post a picture of what one looks like, and then you will all be like, oh. That chair, yes. Like, everyone's seen them. They're very, actually very common nowadays. But, uh, you'll, you very quickly will realize what a mule chair is and what it looks like. And we've all seen them before. But the brothers, Odom, 
uh, Eli and Jacob started making their chairs near Shell Creek in Tennessee around 1806. And the brothers made such good chairs that they were soon all the rage across Tennessee. As Tennessee grew, so did the Odom brothers. And soon their chairs were in every major hotel and sitting parlor in the state. Everyone from the rich to the poor found a way to get an Odom chair. And uh, back in the day, like a good chair or good furniture was something to covet and hold on to. So, you know, they were they were big bargaining chips. And uh, if you couldn't afford it, you could trade for it. So eventually, either through just, you know, being wealthy and buying a bunch of their chairs or through trade and through barter, uh, these chairs became wildly popular across the state and uh, a lot of people ended up with them. But now back to the uh, to the body, the Crossroads Vampire here. The body was never identified, but there were stories around town of who it might have been. There were tales of an old woman who lived in the mountains in a cabin above town. Her name was unknown. Uh, they simply just called her either simply uh, the witch lady or the woman from Hiawassa. Hiawassee, I think, uh, which once again is a river. And uh, in, in the book, the author, Bob Kieran, brings up a, a very interesting point to me. Uh, he says that maybe people didn't know her name because there is this kind of belief that if someone knows your name or the name of something, a being, a person, whatever, then that grants you a certain power over them. Names have power. So perhaps this woman, knowing that, made very sure to, like, keep her name out of things. She was known, really, as a, a Yarb lady, a witch who mixes potions and poisons for uh, varying uses. Some of these were even rumored to use blood as ingredients. It was said that she had uh, powers as well, the uh, ability to turn into animals, such as a crow or a black cat. And she would use these powers to uh, slink around town, spy on the townspeople of Charleston, and learn all of their secrets. It was also rumored that she would drink the blood of men as they slept. That's what really gets uh, vampire is, is that one little sentence right there. And so it's like the same old thing that you always see, right? Like she was this obfuscated like person that was pushed out of society and lived in the woods and uh, everyone feared her. But, you know, a bunch of people would secretly go to her whenever they needed potion or something dealt with in that manner, right? It was like, oh, we all hate uh, the Hiawassee Witch, but uh, you know, go up there at night if you need a little something, something done, and she'll take care of, you know, that whole thing, right? As mysterious as the woman was during her life, her death has its own mysteries. As far as we can tell, the locals blamed her for a rash of sickness that struck Charleston and the surrounding areas. 
This epidemic caused the deaths of many local children. In an attempt to stop the sickness, one night an angry mob swarmed her cabin, dragged her from the cabin, and then someone used the leg of her possibly beloved chair, staked her right through the heart. And then it's believed that they burned the, the cabin down. Then of course she was buried, and this is all kind of folklore that you bury a vampire uh, face down in the crossroads, and this all helps so that if they rise from the dead, they will be confused because they'll wake up, they'll be upside down, they won't know which way is up, and then if they get out of that, uh, the crossroads just going off in each direction will further confuse them because they don't know where they are and so they don't know which direction to head to. So it's all vampire folklore pretty much up until the end. The chair survived the ordeal, apparently. Assumably it was repaired and still survives to this day. On the fear that destroying it may cause some sort of curse to be unleashed uh, from destroying this artifact. It's said that if one is to sit in the chair, they can feel their energy being drained from their body. But other people have gone on to say that if you do sit in the chair, an invisible force will attempt to hold you down in it, and that scratches will appear up and down your entire body. The chair's whereabouts are unknown, though it's been claimed that, they, uh, that it may be, or at one point in time, had been in the Pelusum uh, College campus somewhere. And so I think it would be, I, I want to find that chair. Like, that is such, that would be such a cool artifact to find. Because, like, think about it. So if you're out in Tennessee and you're antiquing, right, uh, and you come across an Odom Brother mule-eared chair, well, that's pretty cool in itself. But if you come across one that has, like, an out-of-place leg, like one that's obviously been repaired and replaced uh, with just whatever and doesn't match it or doesn't look right. Uh, beware of that chair. Buyer, beware of that chair. Uh, but if you find it, let me know about that chair. Let me know where that chair is at. Because uh, I want to track down this chair. You know, if it exists. Or if it's still around. Or whatever. And that is, like I said, there's not a lot of meat to a lot of these uh vampire folklore stories but that one that one at least has some stuff to it like I'm sure I don't think I'm gonna be able to find on newspapers.com maybe I'll go back and look but when you get in the like 1970s stuff like that uh, the newspaper stuff is few and far between but you know there was a road crew they did do this you know um, like we can find out who owned the land and all that stuff that they did it so the body was indeed discovered uh, did all that other stuff happen was she just like a mistaken person, you know, just ostracized by society and went to live in the woods and this is her fate because everybody thought she was just uh, a creepy vampire lady? Probably, but it is it is just it's exactly like the small town legend that I like to do on this show. Now let's move on to our next town, our next story of uh, Exeter, Rhode Island and the story of Mercy Brown. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Exeter, Rhode Island was once known as deserted Exeter. Due to it being a farming community, uh, trying as hard as they could to make something from the less than fertile soil of the town. It was a very rocky soil, not great for growing stuff in, but if you've got it, that's what you got to use. And in 1892, this town became home to a rather strange event, the exhumation of Mercy Brown. Brown family lived and worked the ground in Exeter, and like many in the later 1800s, uh, they would soon become victims of tuberculosis. And in 1882, Mary Eliza Brown, mother of this family, would die from the disease. And then uh, their daughter, Mary Olive, would die the next year. So the family kind of breaks down like this. I'll give you everyone's name. There's George and Mary Eliza, and then there's Mary Olive, who's a daughter. And then there is Lena, or Mercy, who is where we are the center of this whole thing. Uh, the other daughter, and then they had a son named Edwin. 
And I think that's it. I don't know if just maybe there were other family members and uh, they don't talk about them because they didn't die from tuberculosis. I'm not sure. But a decade later, Mercy Brown and her brother, Edwin, would contract tuberculosis. Edwin went off to Colorado Springs in hopes that the fresh air, Colorado air, would curb the disease. And we've talked about that before. If you remember back when we talked about uh, Estes Park and the Stanley Hotel, that's why it was all built, was because it was believed that the, the high mountain air, the thinner air, stuff like that, would help tuberculosis. So uh, a lot of people did flock off to Colorado to take advantage of that air. Mercy had what was known as galloping tuberculosis, which meant that she had contracted the disease probably back when her mom and her sister got it and had carried it for many years, but had remained asymptomatic, only to succumb to it very quickly when uh, it decided to turn its ugly head. So, like, it's one of those things where you have it, you know, and if you get it and you show symptoms, it can be a, you know, a slow, slow-ish type of death. But if you have it in this other way where it just stays dormant for a little bit and then all of a sudden decides to pop up, then you go, and you go very fast. So she died quickly after actually showing symptoms of tuberculosis. A short time later, her brother, Edwin, returned from Colorado and was now worse off than when he left. Mercy's father, George, had now lost almost his entire family. Maybe his entire family. I'm not sure. Like I said, I don't know if they're other siblings or not. To TB. His wife and daughter, a decade ago, uh, his last daughter a few months prior, and now his son was on his deathbed. A very distraught George was approached by some townspeople who told him that it may not have been tuberculosis that had cursed his family. They posited the idea that one of the family's women was in fact a vampire, returning from the grave to feed off of the remaining family members' life force. He was told that he had to exhume their bodies to find the one that was still fresh, still very lively. George agreed. All three of the bodies were exhumed. And of course, the bodies of Mary and Mary Olive, who at this time, right, had been dead for 10 years, were nothing but skeletal remains. Mercy uh, still seemed very perfectly preserved, almost too perfectly. Uh, but there's a good reason for this, and the good reason was before she was buried, so this she actually died right before the winter months, before she was buried, they stored her body for several weeks, I don't know for how long really, in like a stone crypt above ground. So she was essentially, and this was winter time and everything, so she was essentially in a freezer for a good while, which would have slowed uh, decomposition down considerably. But was it that, or was she a vampire? The townsfolk's minds, though, had been made up, and they told George that the only way to save his son was to cut out Lena's liver and heart, burn them, and feed his son 
the ashes. Which, of course, why wouldn't you? That's exactly what they did. And he died two months later from tuberculosis. So it didn't, it did not, it didn't work. It didn't save his life. He probably wasn't a vampire. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, at the time, and this is a very short story, but I love it. At the time, it made big news. Like, the Providence Journal was there and wrote about the story. And this wasn't the only thing. There was, like, a rash of, quote-unquote, vampires in Rhode Island in the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, so much so that there was a name for it. They were known as the Vampire Ladies. And uh, Mercy Lena Brown was one of them, as was another woman named Juliet Rose. Uh, there was one named Nancy Young, Sarah Tellengast. Like three or four very similar cases. I don't know if they were all dug up and had their hearts burned, but uh, vampires were crawling all over Rhode Island uh, in between the turn of the last century there. And this story might have actually been an inspiration for Dracula, you know, the story Dracula itself, as Bram Stoker was touring America at the time of Macy's examination. His wife even found clippings of the story after Stoker's death. And so, that's it. Like I said, another short a legend, but one that, that does have... You know, we have names for this one. We have news articles for this. And even though I think it was probably just a case of uh, storing a body in the cold and not realizing that that's what happens when you store a body in the cold... It is, but it is such like, you know, this did happen. Like, we can really, unlike the other one, we can really track this back to its origin and know exactly how it went. But a great, you know, vampire story from Rhode Island, which apparently chock full of vampires. One thing I could never stand about Rhode Island, all the damn vampires. I, I did this joke in the last episode, didn't I? Like, there's, I always have to do, like, rip off that line from Lost Boys, but I did it again. And I'll probably do it a third time if we ever do a third episode on vampires. But those are the stories. Mercy Brown from Exeter, Rhode Island, and The Crossroads Vampire from Charleston, Tennessee. Uh, I'm going to play a little bit of music here for the intermission. I am coming back with some local headlines to share with everyone tonight.
And uh, this first story is an update to a story that I didn't cover, but let's just say a couple of weeks ago, uh, there were some reports of a uh, squirrel-like cryptid. <laughs> so this is an update on that story. Uh, no, this is from BBC.com. I don't see uh, a, a credit for whoever wrote the story. Uh, headline reads, Mystery Tree Beast Turns Out to Be a Croissant. When animal welfare officers received a report of an unusual animal lurking in the trees in the Polish city of Krakow, they were not sure what to expect. People aren't opening their windows because they're afraid it will go into their house, uh, the woman reportedly said. But a visit to the area showed the creature in question was not a bird or even a reptile, but a croissant. The Krakow Animal Welfare Society said the incident was genuine. Writing on Facebook, the organization said its officers had asked the desperate caller whether the unidentified animal, which had been in a tree for two days, could be a bird of prey. The woman responded it looked more like a lagoon, similar to a laguana, a Polish, a Polish for lagoon, before remembering the correct word Iguan or iguana. Although the inspectors knew that it was unlikely that a reptile would survive the cool spring temperatures in the southern Polish city, they wondered if the animal could have been an unwanted pet abandoned by its owners. Arriving on the scene, however, the inspectors found the headless and limbless object in a lilac tree. A pastry probably thrown out a window to feed birds. The organization remained lighthearted about the encounter and said the public should continue to err on the side of caution and report any concerns about animal welfare. And yes, I know she described it more as a lizard, but if you obviously take a look at the picture, it looks like a, it kind of looks like a squirrel. Like it's a croissant, but it, I don't know, I guess maybe something's ripped at it and misshapen it. There's a picture in the, in the article of the the flaky French pastry, uh, not not a mysterious animal, a mysterious pastry. But that one made me chuckle, and I so I had to do it. I had to include it here. This next one is from ImpressWire.com. Once again, I don't really see like a writer credited. I see contact information, but I think that's for the person who bought this property, and not so much who wrote the article. But uh, this is U.S. Ghost Adventures acquires Lizzie Borden Bread and Breakfast Museum. I mean, I've, I don't even know if I did the original story on this one either. But yeah, like a while back, the Lizzie Borden house did go up for sale. Fall River, Massachusetts, USA, March 26, 2021. Entertainment company U.S. Ghost Adventures is under contract to buy the famous Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast Museum in Fall River, Massachusetts expanding the company's portfolio, which includes over 30 ghost tour experiences across the United States. Operating as a museum and bed and breakfast, visitors can tour the home and stay overnight in one of six rooms. We look forward to adding the Lizzie Borden House to our growing portfolio of haunted experiences and working with the staff to create new opportunities for guests, said Lance Zoll, who founded the company in 2018. We have exciting plans for the house and we'll announce, we will announce in April. A healthy transition for the staff 
uh, and preserving the historical site is our top priorities. Mr. Zoll was approved for a license to operate the museum on March 24th. The company is uh, celebrating the acquisition, the acquisition with a sweepstakes, offering transportation and a complimentary two-night stay at the Lizzie Borden house. To enter the, sweep, the sweepstakes, one must enter the promo code Borden when booking a ghost tour in one of the 30 cities listed on the website through June 1st of 2021 for a chance to win. The Lizzie Borden house is famously known as the home of Lizzie Borden, whose father Andrew and stepmother Abby were gruesomely murdered with a hatchet in 1892, same year as, uh, as Mercy. Lizzie Borden was accused of the murders and the trial became a national media sensation. She was acquitted in 1893. The murder is considered one of the oldest and most infamous unsolved murders in the United States. And the home is also renowned for its hauntings and has been featured in movies, books, music, and numerous TV shows. To learn more or book your, book your Lizzie Borden experience, visit www.lizzieborden.com. And I'll link this in the show notes in case anyone wants to book book a stay in the Lizzie Borden house or enter that sweepstakes. But I know it's been on the market for a little bit. I think like $2 million or something like that. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it wasn't cheap. But it has uh, finally been sold. And our last story is from the InvernessCourier.co.uk. Hey, written by Val Sweeney. This one's got a, a writer on it. And uh, is this Nessie? latest register sighting of something unexplained on Loch Ness brings the total this year to six. So, uh, tis the season for uh, Loch Ness Monster sightings. A bumper six Nessie sightings have been reported in the first three months of 2021. All have been spotted via live webcam of Loch Ness and have been recorded on the official Loch Ness Monster sightings register. The latest sighting has been claimed by Rosalind Casey from Leeds. She spotted something unexplained on the webcam on March 26 at 5.46 p.m. Miss Casey, who visited the lock as a child, has been carrying out research via the webcam since the beginning of the lockdown and travel restrictions being implemented in the UK. She says she was fascinated by the phenomenon which can occur on the lock, such as sieges, standing waves moving in a body of enclosed water. I first heard about the lock as a child, and I've been fascinated by cryptozoology ever since, she said. I didn't know that there was a live cam for Loch Ness, so since the lockdown, I've been watching. I've reported a few snapshots previously, but most have been explained, except this one. She recalled visiting the lock when she was young. I was maybe 10 years old, and I had an interest in dinosaurs at the time, she said. I was fascinated by sieges and other things that can her on the lock surface, so I was surprised when I captured the photo three months into watching. The sighting has been recorded on the official Loch Ness Register at uh, LochNessSightings.com, which is kept by Gary Campbell. It joins three sightings reported this year by veteran Nessie watcher Ian... Okay, I'm going to kill this name. It's fair warning. Ian O'Fatahagen of Ireland. And two sightings by Kaylin Wangle of America. The first sighting of 2021 was on January 11th at 11.42 a.m. when regular webcam watcher Kaylin Wangle noticed a V-shaped wake across the left side of the log shore. 
she caught another glimpse of something unknown on March 17th at 4.15 p.m. Uh, Mr. Ofatahagen captured the footage via webcam on the lock on January 19th and the 22nd, and again on March 12th. Mr. Campbell, the keeper of the register, said access to the lock for Nessie watchers during the first quarter of this year has been almost exclusively by the way of webcam. The sixth sighting is typical of reports that come via the webcam, he said. It's important to note that we never say uh, what folks have captured is the monster, just that what the picture is, or video, is unidentified. Unfortunately, during lockdown, there have been some issues with the resolution of the images from the camera, which, through no fault of the operators, has made it more difficult to identify what folk are seeing, so there have been some more unidentified images as a result. He said that less than a quarter of the reports made get into the register, uh, the rest could all have been explained. However, 2021 is shaping up to be quite well for Nessie sightings, and what has been reported is on par with previous years. Obviously though, we just want to welcome people back to the lock as soon as possible, and there really is no substitute for being on shore or on the water having a look. And I would almost venture like, I bet, yeah, probably a lot more people watching webcams because a lot of people are still uh, just stuck in the house with uh, nothing to do during all of this. So link in the show notes, there is a picture of it. Uh, it is just a picture of something, a dark gray shape in the water, almost looks like a hump, kind of interesting. But a lot of people say that Nessie is dead and it might be shaping up that maybe, maybe she is not dead or this is maybe something new maybe this is a generational thing Who knows? and uh, there you have it that has been this episode's local headlines and uh, let's talk about uh, your small town secrets for a little bit got a couple of those to share as well and uh, tonight on your small town secret I have uh, a story and experience from reddit and I thought I'd go back and uh, share it with everyone, with his permission, of course. Uh, Tyler Nelson's UFO sighting, who we talk about all the time because he just organically pops up in the show. Last week when we were talking, when I was talking to the Liminal Earth guys, uh, his sighting just happened to pop up. And I uh, thought I'd go back and share that with everyone so they can get a feel for what, what all that Liminal Earth stuff is kind of about. But this first one is from Reddit, from user Lash. 1819. We moved into a new house. Some odd things have been happening ever since we've been here. My wife is aware of activity and she's walked into our bedroom one night to a black figure sitting on our dresser looking in my direction as I slept. She told me earlier today that a couple of nights ago she awoke to see something standing at the bottom of the bed but to my right side. She asked, what are you doing? No answer. And this black figure walked from the wall to the door across the room and stood there. She said to it, you do realize I can still see you, right? And then it went. I have not seen anything, but a lot has been going on in my life. The main ones are a new position in my job, which is causing me to be exhausted lately. And also last week, my mom has, become, has come into contact with her biological father, whom she has never met. I was the one who dived into the history, finding her grandfather who passed, then finding her dad, 
so there's a lot of emotion at the moment. Also, my dad has been having problems health-wise. Side note, a few weeks ago I had a dream. I had driven my car alone to a park, walked to a graveyard where I saw a woman pushing a pram and visiting a grave. A pram is a, is a baby stroller for those who may not know that. I turned to leave her to it, and as I entered the park, a man was shouting, Get out of here! You know you're not allowed in here, uh, in here, right? I asked, what's going on? His reply, the man who came in your car was trying to enter, but he's not allowed in here. I was alone in the car, so I asked who this man was, and the guy said his name was Michael, my wife's father's name, who had passed way before I met her. He wanted to tell you everything was going to be all right. My thought within my dream was, uh, WTF, why is he trying to enter my dream? What is going on? And I like I like the beginning of that story with the, the, the things in the rooms, the shadow people, uh, you know, the dream that might help explain some of it, all of it. But yeah, it does make sense because people do say that if you are in a heightened emotional state, uh, stress being one, you know, just I'm sure all of the family stuff being another, it can produce uh, activity around you and I thought this was a pretty decent example of that and uh, now let's uh, let's read Tyler's tale and his UFO sighting from Little Earth. At about 8.15 a.m. I was headed westbound on Highway 84 out of Livermore towards Sunnel. Traffic was slow so I took some time to scan the sky and saw roughly 40 degrees to my left and easily 50 to 60 degrees inclination, a small white oval object traveling roughly north to south. It kept a steady speed and a steady heading. At first I dismissed it as an aircraft at a great altitude and at an angle that obscured the wings. And being by the Bay Area, it was possible it could be a conventional aircraft. However, if it was the size of a conventional aircraft, it would have been it would have had to have been exceptionally high. It honestly looked like a tic-tac, and it was reflecting the rising sun. It was doing so in a very consistent manner. There was no glare or flash from the sun directed at me from the object. It was clear that there was no blur from motion. There was no sign of a contrail either. Other identifiable individual jets I observed that day had short contrails. If the object had performed some radical maneuver, I'd no doubt say that I saw something unusual. Its steady altitude and speed still makes me think that it might have been a conventional jet, but I enjoy a bit of plane spotting, and this is just enough unusual aspects to make me think that I may have seen a UFO that morning. I have subsequently watched the flight tracker site anything going over that area at that time and the only thing that comes close is a Singapore Airlines flight at 41,000 feet. But, but researching this track on Wednesday does not have it coming over the area in question at the time. And I, I want to apologize to Tyler real quick. Um, I know last episode I said he lived in Pleasanton. No, he lives in Livermore. I was just looking at the liminal map at the time, and the word Pleasanton was on my screen. And so I just I said Pleasanton because I was looking at it. Uh, but this would have been close to Pleasanton, Livermore, Pleasanton. It's all kind of right there. I've been to Pleasanton. I went to an Apple store to get a to get my iPhone fixed one time. 
And uh, there you go. That has been this episode's Your Small Town Secret. And uh, that is it. That is the episode. If you have a small town secret to share, I'd rather be UFO sighting, a cryptid report, a haunting, true crime thing, a local legend, uh, whatever. We can get it on this show. The best way to do it is to go to stscast.com, scroll down to the bottom of the main page, and there's an email form to fill out, and that will come right to me. Uh, there's also, I never, I keep forgetting to tell people this, but there's also a subreddit, and uh, that's linked at the bottom with all the other links and stuff that you can get to there if Reddit is your thing. You can also contact me on social media at STSCast, uh, which is Twitter, which I'm most active on, and Facebook. Those are both STSCast, at STSCast. And Instagram is at STSCast.gram. So let me know, and we can get on the show. You can just write something in. Uh, we can have a little interview. You can send an article, whatever you want to do, and we will find a way to uh, feature it on one of our one of the episodes here. Uh, while you're at STSCast, check everything else out as well. There are links to merch. There are links to the Patreon, other ways to support the show. Uh, all the show notes are there. All the sources, all the pictures, all that great stuff is at stscast.com. And speaking of Patreon, if you're on Patreon, the, uh, the Backroads episode for next week will be more of a true crime thing but I'm going to be talking about the Atlas Vampire from Stockholm, Sweden. So if you're on Patreon, thank you for supporting. I'll talk to you guys next week. Uh, if you're not, then I will talk to you guys in a couple weeks from now with another episode. And uh, until then, though, uh, thanks, everyone, for supporting. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, remember that every town has a secret. What is yours? catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.